0: Tonight's first reading is from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, and this can be found on page 727 of the Church Bibles. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his law the islands will put their hope and the second reading is from Isaiah 49 verses 1 to 6 and this is on page 735 listen to me you islands hear this you distant nations before I was born the Lord called me from my birth he has made mention of my name he made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand he hid me he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver he said to me you are my servant israel in whom i will display my splendor but i said i have labored to no purpose i have spent my strength in vain and for nothing yet what is due to me is in the lord's hand and my reward is with my god And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let me pray as we begin. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity to spend a short time now um, hearing you speak to us. We thank you that as we gather this evening, you will speak. And so we pray, loving Father, you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to take on board what it is that you would say to us today. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. We do keep a finger in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49. We'll be jumping about a little bit. Uh, Some of you will know that not this last week, but the week previously, I was up in Nottingham and uh, had the wonderful privilege of helping Nottingham Christian Union uh, run a week of events to help their campus engage with the claims of Jesus Christ. And I was doing the lunchtimes and uh, they're incredible weeks. Incredible weeks, so much fruit, so many amazing questions. And at the same time, they're really hard weeks. As you see people flying, you see the students walking by and ignoring at best, or perhaps mocking at worst. You can see them walking down the path and laughing at the Christians, pitying the Christians who would have this hope in a a God. I mean, science has just disproved God. Some... um, some students are incredibly brave, so courageous. They do something I'd never dream of doing and they, at the beginning of their lecture they stand up and they do a lecture shout-out. In front of the whole lecture hall they say, Hi, uh, my name's James, I'm part of the Christian Union, I want to let you know about this week of events. And then they sit down, their heart's racing. And a little way into the lecture, the lecturer just mocks Christianity, mocks their faith. And you think these incredibly brave guys have just taken a massive risk and now find themselves on the end of that sort of mocking. And how do you feel in that situation? I guess if you would like me, you'd, you'd want justice. You'd feel a sense of this isn't right. Lord, when are you going to come and bring justice? When are people in this world going to recognise that you are God and that you deserve our praise? I mean, that's just a, it's a significant example, isn't it? But for others around the world, you can imagine them crying out for God's justice as they face all sorts of horrendous things for their faith. And the Israel that Isaiah speaks to would know that feeling. They're about to be exiled to Babylon, and they're going to cry out to God. They're going to feel the injustice of that They're God's people, and yet they've been taken away from their homes. You'll you'll know the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is one where God's justice will come. It will come eventually, and it will come when God's rule is established. Justice will come when the world is restored to God's design. And our only hope for justice is the saving work of God's. But I guess there's a slight question, isn't there, and it's this, is justice really good news? Was it good news for Israel? Well, I think we want to say yes and no. Yes, because we know that one day the Babylonians will face God's justice for what they're about to do to God's people. But no, no, it's not good news for God's people because the thoughtful Israelites would realise that the entire reason they are being exiled to Babylon in the first place is because of their, their sin, their idolatry. They were actually on the receiving end of God's justice. And God's justice is good news and, it, well, potentially it's bad news as well, isn't it? And it's bad news because, if we're honest, as we read through the book of Isaiah and we see their idolatry, God's people now are just like God's people then. Yes, we worship different things, but we still worship all sorts of things that aren't God's. Our idolatry is just as present today as it was then. Some of you this evening are perhaps very aware of your failings. Perhaps you've never felt like your faith is particularly strong. It's always felt like you've been clinging on Put on a great show on a Sunday, but during the week, where well, you're not so sure, our background haunts us. Perhaps our doubts cripple us. We might even wonder whether our struggles disqualify us. See, where will God's justice leave us? Leave you? Isaiah has brought us the point in his uh, prophecy. Where he's outlined that God's justice will come. He's reminds us that God really does rule. But the next question is how? How will God's justice come? And this week and next week, we're going to look at um, four small passages called the servant songs. And what Isaiah is going to do is going to introduce us to the servant. God's servant who will bring salvation, who will bring justice. Just look at Isaiah 42 verse 1, I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 3, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. God's servant will come and when the servant comes, he will bring justice. This is the servant in whom God's people need to put their hope. But actually, we need to realise that that Isaiah and God's servant have come, have a much wider audience in mind than just God's people. Look at verse 4. He says, in, this, in his law the islands will put their hope. The word islands here, it's the coastlands, it's the extremities. What Isaiah is saying is that the servant of God's servant will come for everyone, not just Israel. And you see that, just flick on to 49 verse 6. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the (coughs) earth, excuse me, of the earth, the islands, the extremities. This servant of God is going to come for all. And so let's just spend um, a little bit of time this evening Just seeing what this servant is like, and you'll be very pleased to know I've only got nine points. So um, (laughs) we'll rattle through them. What's this servant like? Well, servant song number one, Isaiah 42. The servant can truly bring salvation. The uh, beginning where it says, Here in my servant, and more literally, it's this idea of behold, come and see. Come and see my servant and this invitation to come and see is in direct contrast with what's just happened in chapter 41 so having been reminded in chapter 40 of the awesome rule of gods isaiah invites the idols the idols themselves that israel have been worshipping to try and compete come on you idols you try and compete with gods you see that invitation 41 verse 23 Uh, Sorry, verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds. He's issuing a challenge to the idols and those who worship him. But look, verse 24. But you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless he who chooses you is detestable strong language isn't it those who choose to worship an idol Isaiah says are detestable and look what he says in verse 28 I, I look but there is no one no one among them to give counsel no one to give answer when I ask them see they are all false Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but winds and confusion. They're nothing. Absolutely nothing. You see, Isaiah is saying, look, it really does matter who you worship all week. Not just who you worship on a Sunday. It really matters. For to live and worship any other idol, Isaiah Isaiah says, that's detestable. So number one. The servant can truly bring salvation because he's real and true and he's not a worthless idol. Number two, the servant is a servant that God delights in. Look at verse one. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. This servant's not just any old servant, this is the chosen one of God, the one in whom God's spirit dwells. The one that God delights in. This is a servant that has truly found God's favour and anointing. The servant God delights in. Number three, the servant who is gentle and compassionate. The the idea of a king or or anyone establishing a rule or reign over the whole earth I think to us can feel a bit tyrannical, can't it? Like a tyrant, like a a Robert Mugabe who's willing to trample on anyone and anything in order to establish his power, his authority. And nothing will stand in his way. But God's servant isn't like that. God's servant is, in fact, completely the opposite. He won't be seen out on the streets, establishing his rule through military might and show of force. You won't see him campaigning aggressively. And when the servant comes, you won't see him trample on anyone. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. It's a wonderful picture, this. And I think it's a wonderful picture because for some of us, it really expresses how we feel about our faith how we feel about ourselves. We feel like a reed that's been battered by life. I know some of you are younger here this evening, but those of you who've lived life will perhaps know that. You feel bruised by others, bruised by the decisions you've made. And rather than standing tall, we feel, well, we feel crumpled, lifeless. A bruised reed or a smouldering wick. Perhaps we long to be alive with passion, to serve Christ. To boldly follow him, to courageously live, to, to feel on fire for God. And yet your everyday experience feels more like one of survival. Trying to work out your faith in the, the messiness of life. Living with disappointment of expectations not met. Of relationships gone wrong? A bruised reed, a smouldering wick. Perhaps you became a Christian years ago and you remember that moment where you felt alive and excited about your faith that you tell anyone, but now, well, now it feels like we're plodding along. And the flame has all but gone out. It's just a smouldering wick. See, where will we stand? Where will people like that stand when God's servant comes and justice is established. It'd be easy to be fearful, wouldn't it? But verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. It's wonderfully comforting that God's servant is gentle and compassionate. And where there is faith, no matter how small and how fragile, he will not snuff it out. God's servant is gentle and compassionate. Fourthly, God's servant perseveres faithfully. Some of us um, are very good at trying things, but as soon as it gets hard, we give up. My music career is a history of instruments I've tried and given up because it got too hard. Piano, trumpet, drums, bass guitar, and now guitar. I'm dabbling. But I keep keep stopping because it gets hard. It's painful on my fingers. (laughs) But God's servant isn't like that. God's servant isn't going to give up. This servant, verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. You see, this servant, no matter how strong the opposition, no matter how much abuse he gets, no matter how weak people's faith, he will be faithful to the task that he's been given. He, he will not give up. He's resilient. He'll persevere until justice and salvation have been accomplished. Nothing in this world will stop him. And so, the question, of course, you're all asking, and I was asking, well, who is this servant? And of course, we all know the answer to that, don't we? It's on the tip of our tongue. But, but hold your horses just before you state the obvious. Because Isaiah tells us who the servant is. He tells us in verse, chapter 41, verse 8 to 10. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friends, Verse 9. I said, "You are my servants. I have chosen you and have not rejected you." Israel. That's who Isaiah talking about. Israel. They think, "Ah, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that." It's Israel through whom justice and salvation to the whole earth will come. Oh. Flick on with me to Isaiah chapter 49. This is the second servant song. And we learn more things here about um, God's servant. Fifthly, we learn that God's servant is commissioned by God's. Verse 1, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Uh, Back in the day, names told you something about the person. So if your surname Smith, the likelihood is that once upon a time, back in the day, someone in your family worked with metal. They were a blacksmith. If your surname's Lancaster, well, it's highly likely that at some point back in the day, one of your this previous generations of your family, not descendants, the, the opposite, uh, lived near Lancaster. Because that's what names represented. And likewise, names in the Bible are significant. They reflect the character and the nature of the person. What's interesting here is that we're not actually told the servant's name, but we are told who names the servant. We're told that the servant's name is derived from God. From my my birth, he has made mention of my name. The servant's nature and character is derived from God himself. God's servant is commissioned by God. Sickly, God's servant's word is powerful. We, um, that ridiculous f- phrase, uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's a load of nonsense, isn't it? I mean, if you've been on the end of harsh words, you really know that isn't true. Words hurt. Words penetrate deep. Words can cut us to the heart's. And boy, is that true of this servant's words. Verse 2 He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. This is the servant himself speaking. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. This idea of a sharpened sword or a polished arrow are, are pictures of weapons that, well, they cut. They cut through the air. They're like a missile, a polished arrow. They cut the heart of people's flesh. These, this servant's word is powerful, effective. Number seven, uh, God's servant displays God's splendour. Verse three, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendour. In chapter 41, we've just seen this incredible picture, Forty forty-one, incredible picture of God's splendour, his majesty, his rule over all creation. He says, to whom can you compare me? And all that glory and majesty and splendor he shares with this servant. It's as if everything in God overflows to his servant. Wow, this servant must be something. Point eight, God's servant labours. Look at verse four. But I said, I have laboured to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. This is a servant who's been given a really tough task. And despite all the resources at his disposal, it's going to be hard. It's an onerous task and there'll be times where the servant thinks, is this this worth it? Is it happening? But it is because, verse 5, the servant triumphs. The servant's labour is not in vain. Well, end of verse 4. Yet what is due to me is the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God's. And now the Lord said, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob back to himself, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. The servant will labour, but the servant will triumph. God will honour his servants. And as we've said already, verse 6, this servant will bring salvation to the world. And again, the question is well, who is this servant? Who is the servant that's going to do this work? And again, we go, oh, I know the answer to that one. Well, look at verse chapter 49, verse 3. He said to me, You are my servant. Israel. Israel? Oh. You see, what Isaiah and these servant songs are saying is that God will establish his rule and establish justice and salvation through his people. God's people are the servant in whom God delights, the gentle and compassionate servants. God's people will persevere faithfully, they're commissioned by God, their word is powerful, they display God's splendour, they'll labour but they'll triumph. And yet the tragedy of Israel is they fall so far short of what they were supposed to be. They continue to run and worship idols. The idols that Isaiah has just mocked. And let's be honest, we're not that different today, are we? Do you think God would delight in us? He knows our hearts, he he knows our thoughts, he sees the things that no one else sees, the, the idols and the gods that we worship daily, that we think we can worship and get away with. How could he even begin to delight in a people like us? A gentle and compassionate people of God's? I don't know, sometimes I feel like for me, belligerent and uncaring would be a better description. Persevering faithfully... Well, many of us would never step in front of the lecture room and give that shout out, would we? We'd run from testifying to God at the very first sign of rejection rather than persevere in holding out the Gospel and living it out. Commissioned by God? Well, you probably wouldn't think it from our lives, would you? You'd be forgiven for thinking that God is, if you like, the icing on the cake. He's the the bit that we sort of fit into life around everything else. The servant whose word is powerful, again, if we're honest, many of us probably know very little of it, yet alone speak it confidently to others. And you think, stop, just stop. Well, no. The servant that displays God's splendor, well, again, if you're like me, we're more concerned about our own glory, our, our own splendor than God's. The servant that labors to triumph, well, we'll labour, and we'll labour, and we'll labour, but when we begin to feel the pinch and things begin to feel a bit uncomfortable, well, then perhaps we'll say that's enough. You see, just like Israel, we fall so far short of one well, of what God intended his people to be. And as we look at our lives, and as we look at, by the time we get to the Old Testament and the end of Isaiah, we're, we're left thinking, do you know what we'll God's servant, God's people, ever be what they were supposed to be? Is there actually any hope, any confidence of justice and salvation? And then years later, years later, another servant appears in a desert. And as he's baptised by John, the Spirit of God descends on him and a voice says, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my servant. I'm delighted in him. And in Jesus we see the truly gentle and compassionate servant who doesn't come to establish his rule by force or by trampling on people. We haven't got time to look at it, but in Matthew 12, uh, Jesus withdraws from the crowds And he withdraws away from them and away from the hostile leaders. And Matthew, when he's explaining why Jesus does that, he quotes Isaiah 42. And he's saying, look, Jesus here is fulfilling Isaiah 42. He's not come to establish his his throne by power or force or by public opinion. This servant is truly gentle and compassionate. And in Jesus we see the servant who will persevere faithfully, despite rejection, despite abuse, injustice, facing a cross. We see the servant whose word was powerful enough to heal, to cast out demons, to change the weather, to raise people from the dead. The servant who truly displays God's splendour. The servant whose labour would end in glorious triumph through his death and resurrection. You see, Isaiah is pointing us forward, he's pointing us forward to the servant who will truly bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The true Israel. And God's people Israel in the Old Testament were only ever a shadow, a shadow of the true Israel, the true people of God, who would fully fulfil the prophecy, fully fulfil these servant songs. See, in Christ, God will accomplish these things. So let me just finish by giving perhaps four implications of what this means for us now, as we see in Isaiah, the true servant of God. Well, firstly, it means this. The commission to God's people remains the same. You see, you and I, we might feel like broken reeds, smouldering wicks, Flawed failures. But we in Christ have been restored, been remade, renewed back to the people that we were supposed to be. In Christ and in Christ alone, the servant of God, that we truly belong to God's people. And bizarrely, God is still committed to using his people to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. In, um, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas uh, are in Antioch, and they preach in the synagogue, and then they preach in the city. And people, it says the whole city come and hear them. And in response to that, the religious leaders are jealous, and they, so they start contradicting, contradicting Paul and Barnabas, trying to stop people believing what they say. And so Paul and Barnabas say, okay, fine. From now on, we're going to the Gentiles. And then they quote Isaiah 49, verse 6. You see, God's commission to his people back in the Old Testament is still his commission to us today. Our task is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is the task of God's people, whether we like it or not the commission to God's people remains. Secondly, God's word is powerful. His servant's word is powerful. When the servant speaks, his word cuts deep. And that was great to know as I headed into a marquee in the middle of Nottingham campus. And it's great for us to know that as we head out into the world. Jesus' word is powerful to cut through to even the most deepestly stubborn hearts. But beware, because what's true for people out there is also true for people here. God's word is always doing its work. Look, I speak as someone who listens to lots of sermons. There's always the temptation to sort of tune out of the sermon, isn't there? Uh, Perhaps there's even the temptation to sort of chat your way through the sermon. But God's word is always working. It's always penetrating. And if it's not softening your heart, it will be hardening your heart against the servant himself. God's word is powerful. The servant's word is powerful, so be careful how you listen. Thirdly, idolatry is foolish. To, to reject the God of the Bible, to reject God's servant, and, in, and instead look to other sources of comfort, of satisfaction, of hope and justice in this world is foolishness. For idols are vacuous, worthless, they can't deliver. Some of us are tempted to serve God on our own terms. We sort of opt in and opt out when it suits. It can sometimes feel like we do God a favour when we turn up at church, doesn't it? We're not doing God any favours. To worship idols is detestable. God's justice is coming. His servant has come and will return. And while the servant gives great hope to those who have faith, the punishment on those who turn from God and worship idols is severe. Don't mess around with God. Your idols cannot save you. So what does this mean for us now? The commission to God's people remains the same. God's word is powerful. Idolatry is foolish. And fourthly and finally, God delights in you, his people. You see, there is a difference between God's Old Testament people and us now, isn't it? And that's that despite our failings to be the people God wants us to be, in Christ we can know that God truly delights in us. He doesn't just tolerate us or begrudgingly accept us. He delights in us. Our backgrounds... Our doubts, our struggles are not what God sees. Instead, God, when he looks at us, sees his son. And all that the father had, the splendour of the father, the majesty of father was, was shared with his son. And now the son shares it with us. We are as loved by God as the son. And that is wonderful news, isn't it? For bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. You see, what matters before God is is not the amounts of your faith, but the object of your faith. You might feel like you're clinging on through life's bruising encounters, but in clinging on to Christ, you have everything, and Christ will not let you go. For his rule and justice is not that of a tyrant, it's of a gentle and compassionate and gracious servant. And this evening you might feel like your faith is dim and smouldering, but Christ has laboured where you haven't. Christ has served where you haven't. Christ has triumphed where you have failed. And he delights in you. And so he urges you to work out your faith as all his energy works through you. As you live out your commission to take Christ to the world, know that God himself delights in you and loves you. Let's pray. Father God, it's all too easy to look at your people in the Old Testament, these people that Isaiah spoke to, and just be so critical of them. And yet we've been reminded this evening that in so many ways we are just like them. And so this evening, Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the servants, the true Israel, who was gentle and compassionate, who persevered, who labored and triumphed that we might truly belong to your people. What hope, what comfort. And we do pray that if we do, ta- perhaps tonight, feel like that bruised reed and smoldering wick, this would be a wonderful encouragement to us as we head out into your world with a message of hope for all nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.